0: All right. Sorry, that's all I can think of. All right. So, we started a new series two weeks ago. Anybody remember what it is? The Spirit. Yeah, the Holy Spirit. And I was thinking back to my early college days, when I had those little strange arguments with my boss about coffee and silverback gorillas and stuff. Okay, what was the worst argument you guys ever had? So, that was It was not really. Neither of them were worse. They were just fun to do. So, I took a class called calculus, math, which is... Uh. I which not, is awesome I <laughs> like like that. I so don't like what I did when I when I took that class I remember having a specific professor and I went through the entire class and each day I wrote my notes down faithfully and got everything written down he gave me the homework I followed exactly what he said I got through the entire year And I didn't really know what I learned at all from the whole year. Because you were just copying. But, you're right, I was just copying. But the next year, I had a new teacher. And I think I was in my first or second day of class. And he started with these pictures on the board. And started to draw out the concepts behind... um, differentials and integrals and things and in one day I understood the whole entire class that I did the this semester before all in one day it all clicked it became real to me and then I could actually like apply things and use them as opposed to the way I was working which was just copy down the thing this is the right thing to do use this formula because it looks just like that And that's not a way where you really learn, right? That's what we do in all of our classes. True. Until you get to a point somewhere along the line where you can apply all of that crunch, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, follow the step, follow the step. Then somewhere along the line, the idea is that you have this Epiphany, okay, (laughs) somewhere and say, wow, I really understand what that is doing. And the whole thing is that you have a bunch of epiphanies over your education, and somewhere along the line, it all kind of adds up, and you start saying, huh, I really kind of understand that. And that applies to this. (laughs) Well, keep trying. How's that? What I'm saying to you is. The Holy Spirit is like that. A lot of people know facts about the Holy Spirit. And we've gone over some facts so far about the Holy Spirit. And that's a good thing. And you have to know the facts. Just like in the math class, you have to know the equations. You have to have the basis for those I mean, things. I'm not about math class. I just got home with Robert. But oh. But then the idea is this that you get to a point where it's applied in your life. Where you get to a point where things start to click and make sense, as opposed to just, I know the facts, I know the facts, I know the facts, because that's not real to you. It's not personal, it's not individual. You You can spout out a bunch of facts, but that does not make it real to you. And our goal here, is to try to help you to understand the Holy Spirit in a different way. To get facts about Him, yes, that's it. But we want you to get the point of Him and having a relationship with Him. He is part of the Trinity, right? And so the Trinity is one of those mysteries that God gives us and says here there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, each one of them is an individual person of the Godhead but it's all one God okay and so we just have to say okay we understand that that's what you tell us so how do I connect with him? how does it become personal to me? That's what I'm interested in this series doing, trying to really get a connection. But along the way, you have to kind of build in some understanding with some facts and try to pull out of it a personal experience. All right. So uh, first week, we started with the Holy Spirit and we talked about that he was the word spirit basically means wind, okay, like a force, but as we begin to look at him and see what he is, he's much more than just a wind or a force. He's not just the force of God coming in. He is a person. We're going to see a little bit more about that tonight, and that's important. We also saw that he was life- Giving, and we started at the very beginning of the world, before the world had all of the things we know of and it is now. It was a a disaster. Not a disaster. That's the wrong way to say it. Not like something broke. It just wasn't put together yet. It was like a jillion pieces. Of random matter, all created but not formed yet into its final form. And above that, in the second verse of the Bible, we see here's the Holy Spirit. Okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 1. And the earth was without form or void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the water all right and so there it was the spirit is doing so what was he doing there that's what we looked at in the very first week and what was he doing there anybody remember because we found out later there's something unique about him He is life giving, all right? He's life giving, and the idea is there is the Holy Spirit hovering over the unfinished world. And it's unfinished because He creates form, He creates things, and He brings life into it. So, who created the, the heavens and the earth? Well, you say, God created the heavens and the earth. If you go into Colossians, it says Jesus created the heavens and the earth. So says he created everything. God is in the very first verse that creates heaven and earth and there's the Holy Spirit because they all work in unity. Okay? Each one of them fully made it. Each one of them gave their full towards creating it. Okay? so. That's something we see, but the Spirit is one thing we're gonna really talk about, is this Holy Spirit. So we find out he's life-giving. And that's how we get changed, all right? Personally, if you, when you're born, you're dead. You're born by your mother, she's a human, And she's under the curse. And there's no way around that. You can't get around it. You're human. She comes from a long line of humans. And she is part of the curse. And so you are born in sin. Because the nature of humans is sin. Alright? Can't get out of it. So when you do that, when you're born in sin, you're dead. Because... After Adam and Eve sinned, all their children were born in sin. And we're just long down the line. Okay? So they're dead, and along comes the Holy Spirit who says, I'm life giving. If you will have him, he will come in and give your spirit life inside of you. It's dead, it doesn't recognize the spirit of God, but if you will have him, he will awaken it, he will quicken it, give life, okay? So he gives life in all sorts of ways. Then last week, do you remember what we talked about? The spirit, because it was the struggle between the spirit and like the, world flesh. the flesh. Okay, that was right. Yes, that's a saying that some people use. I think Jacob maybe did use that so. Black Kadeho versus the White Kadeho. So, the spirit and the flesh are struggling. So start to recognize that there is two worlds out there. Okay? The spiritual world and the world of the flesh, which are at enmity. They're enemies the to one Black Kadeho did into your doom. It's an ancient folklore about the flesh and the spirit. The White Kadeho offers redemption. All right, so the same idea is being able to recognize this. Now, we'll talk about the Holy Spirit himself because there's more to talk about with learning from him. So let's go to Ephesians chapter number four as we look and approach a little bit more about the Holy Spirit in specific. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 30. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 30. Gideon, you want to start there, please? Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Okay, so what does the word grieve mean? Other words, to think about, like to ponder. okay. Ponder in heaviness. I'll, I'll say so. It's yeah. it has a very a sorrowful tone. It's maybe even distress to be in distress. Someone who's grieving. Usually they describe someone who's grieving lost someone close to them, right? They're in grief. They have, they're in grieving right now. So it is not a pleasant thing, but it's really a sorrowful, a sad thing. And apparently we can make the Holy Spirit sorrowful, sad. We can make the Holy Spirit heavy, Distressed. Alright? So it says, don't do it, right? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. So we as a believer, we as a friend of God, if someone says, I am a friend to God and I believe in what he says, accept Christ in my life, allow him to do things in my life, we are then, uh, we have a stamp on us. Now, Natalia has uh, a seal kit. Right? Don't you have a wax seal kit? Um, Melt it? Yeah, I think, like, mm. Yeah. Right? So you take and you take this little candle with wax in it and you take that letter. and This is an old way that people used to take it and drip the hot wax on and put their emblem into that hot wax and it would seal that envelope. Now what's the purpose of sealing it? It's a special mark. Really. It's a special mark. And what's... To what's... know Opened it or like if it was open. so no one can yeah. spoil it right that means it's done and you know the moment that it's broken the seal is broken right this is no good but God has taken us as a person who will believe in him and has put a special seal on us and no one's going to break it that means the moment that we accept Christ in our hearts he melts that wax on us and seals and says no one else's property you're not allowed that was the point right you put his seal on and says this one belongs to me no one else is allowed in here he seals it up which means you're not allowed to get inside of it. so as a christian as a believer in god as a friend to god we are sealed until the day of redemption so in the end days when god straightens the world all back out and evil is pushed aside more aside and destroyed thrown into the lake of fire in the book of revelation it talks about it um When all of that is is done, and Satan's power is completely taken out, you're sealed unto that very day. Unto the day when everything is made right again. God says, that's mine. He belongs to me. And there are times that even in the book of Revelation, it talks about the seal being on the heads Not necessarily foreheads, but um, open and obvious to the spiritual world, I'll call it, right? If you wear something on your head, you put a big hat on your head, it's obvious, right? You don't put a hat on your head to hide the hat. It's right out in front. If you wanna hide something, you put it in a pocket, right? But that's not what God says, it's right up on top. So as spiritual beings, whether they be evil or good, are going across and looking at humanity, they can see who is sealed by God. You and I can't see that because we're not privy to that and understand that at this point, but we do understand that God sealed us. All right? Meanwhile, here we are. I accepted Christ as my Savior when I was six years old. I was with my sister long, long ago. All right? And I don't remember a whole lot more about it except the moment at it. And then kind of when I was done, I I remember the scene of doing it. When you're six, you don't have tons and tons of memories of everything, more just scenes along the way. I probably went off the plate. So was I different the moment after I accepted Christ? (laughs) So, Yes yes and no, and that's exactly the truth. I was sealed at that moment by God. And when God says, I sealed him, that means he's going to keep me one way or another. Did I never do anything wrong again since I was six? No, lots of people still sin after they were. I've done one or two things. Today. Probably, (laughs) right? (laughs) And that's just the truth, and I I don't mean to make it facetious, but what I do mean to say is, it changed something in me, but it didn't change me, all of me on the outside, alright, God is this friend, he became a friend to me, and had a relationship with me. And I've not always been good at keeping that relationship where I should. And I've not always been obedient to Him. And a lot of times I didn't even recognize. But I began to learn. I had been learning before, and I began to learn more about the Bible and about what it is to be a friend to God. What am I supposed to do? And I kept running up against these really difficult verses. Things that sometimes, when I got old enough, I struggled with just thinking about them. And said, how am I ever gonna do that? I don't know how to do that. And so, in real honesty, oftentimes, I would go to God and ask for forgiveness and be back at the very same place again not long after sometimes be sincere and want to change but not understand a lot of what we want to talk about about the holy spirit so we we are here to say there's there's a process in which the holy spirit enters us that day we are saved that moment And if that's the last moment before you die, which of course you don't know the last moment before you die, but if that's the very last twinge of a thing you do before you die, is say, okay, God, and it's true and genuine, God will take you into heaven. You are sealed. You are taken. If you won't do that, then... It's not true, right? If it's not real to you, if God is not real to you and you don't believe his promises, as simple as your understanding might be, then you don't have that seal, okay? So it takes bending and saying yes, all right? And by bending, I mean being willing being willing to take God into your heart. And you may not understand fully what that means. In fact, you don't. And you you couldn't. So there's missing pieces because something amazing has happened the moment you do that, that you accept Christ in your life. And that something amazing is that the Holy Spirit comes in and changes your spirit, makes it alive. And with an alive spirit, you being alive, your spirit, he now begins to work. And it begins to come out of you. Little by little by little. As you listen and understand and obey, it comes out of you. All right. so. Well, let's see what verse number 30, chapter 4, verse number 31 and 32. What do we do that grieves the Holy Spirit? Okay, something makes him very sad. So here we are, we're sealed. So this is someone that believes in God. What do some people do that grieve, that make the Holy Spirit sad? Verse 31 and 32, please. Let all the bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Okay? So we have things that will cause grief to the Holy Spirit. And they are what? Bitterness, Bitterness. Bitterness. Wrath. Wrath. Anger, clamor, clamor, and evil evil speaking. And if you look at the end of that verse, it also talks about one more thing. Malice. Malice. Okay. So here's things that appear like they grieve the Holy Spirit. And this is from somebody who believes in God. Have you ever met a bitter Christian? Yes. I bet you have. Does that bitter Christian make you want to become a Christian? Heck no. No. (laughs) So how about somebody that's angry all the time, right? Or that really can't say a kind word about anybody, no matter what. Their mouth is always going. Does that person want to make you become a Christian? Mm -mm. All right. So why do you think it grieves the Holy Spirit? Because it's much further, the things you do and say, go much further than beyond your mind. When you do and say things around people, they watch and they say, that person says they're a Christian. They're so angry about everything that happens to them. They are so bitter about the world. I've had people that worked with me in the past that were so bitter that they could only think, they spent their entire day almost just thinking of how they could get to that supervisor and trip him up and get him just caught on something. It's like, get a life, guys. Do something else. This isn't what you're paid to do. And yet, they let it consume them, the bitterness. The anger, the wrath, which is uncontrolled anger, right? Sometimes with violence. Wrath is a violent kind of a thought with it. With malice. And what is malice? Evil intent. Evil intent, yes, absolutely. Someone, like, someone in my third class said that my cousin, like they loyalist, that my cousin Gino you know, was so annoying that they just wanted to stab him. Oh, and that's that's malice. That's called malicious, malicious intent, or having malice. Means I, I just am trying to think of something nasty to do to this person. All right, I don't like this person. So these are things that cause the spirit grief. Does that mean you lost your seal? No. Nope. Because God sealed you. It's done. But what does that mean? Well, we're gonna learn in a minute, but let's finish in that verse number thirty-two that you read. What are things you should be doing? Being tender-hearted and forgiving, everyone kind. Tender-hearted, kind, forgiving. Forgiving. How do we forgive? Like God. Like God forgave me, and when you can really think. About the things that God has forgiven you, if you, are, if you are truthful to that about yourself, you will start having the right perspective. Alright? Kind, tender hearted, and forgiving other people. That's what makes the Holy Spirit happy. Opposite of Bitter and anger and clamoring. Clamoring is like fighting all the time. Always trying to go after somebody. All right, These are things that affect the people around you. And I don't care if you've been a Christian for 103 years. It makes no difference. If you were two years old and you accepted Christ as your Savior and you've been bitter your whole life, you have lost something major in the Christian life. Not that you've lost your seal, because if you had a genuine connection with God, if there was a genuine transaction, I'll say, where God came into your life and sealed you, then it's done. But there may be a rocky road along the way. Now, how does that rocky road happen? Let's turn to John chapter number 14, and this is where we start to see Jesus. Now, interestingly enough, I want you to think about this setting of this conversation in John chapter 14. It actually goes for several different chapters, um, and we find amazing things that Christ talks about to his disciples. John chapter 14, we're going to go to verse number 26. He is, to give you the, pers- the, the, the perspective, he is around the table at the Last Supper with his disciples. Chapter 14, what? Chapter 14, verse 26. He is sitting with his disciples and he knows he has hours to live. Hours. Not even a day. He has hours to live. He will. These are the last words he's saying to his people on earth before he's going to be taken and they're going to be. He knows they're going to be confused and scared and lost and not figure out what's really going on. And he has these words to say, and he says so much in these last few words. They're his last words to his closest friends here on earth before he dies And goes through that whole process. Alright? So, John chapter 14, verse number 26. And we start to learn about the Holy Spirit here. Wherever we left off. off But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all the things and bring you all the things to your remembrance. You saw that I have said it to you. Okay. So, what does the Holy Spirit do? A couple things. He calls them something. Two calls them two different things in that verse. The comforter. The comforter, okay. The Holy Ghost. And this is the other time it's really marked the Holy Ghost in, in my Bible. Really. Okay. And he, and he does. He says, okay, this is who it is. It's the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit is coming to you. He is a comforter, and he is going to do something. Teach you, you. all right? So he is a teacher. He is a teacher. Now I've had people teach me all kinds of things in my life. We talked about math, right? And we talked about. Science and I had good teachers and I had bad teachers. I had teachers that I might as well not have even been in the class. It didn't make one difference because they never connected with me. They didn't make, uh, they didn't make me understand well what they were doing. They literally put things up on the screens back and forth. And when they were all done, they said, "You just didn't pay attention." That's exactly what their peer teacher does. There are ones like that. And how good do you feel after that? You're like. Shh. This wasn't helpful at all. Yeah, and she says that everyone says she's the best teacher in the whole school. (laughs) But, every once in a while, you get a unique teacher. I have had people teach me how to shoe horses. I have had people personally come with me and teach me how to do refrigeration systems and electrical things. you have to fix refrigerators? I I do, yes. (laughs) Yes, can. How's that? I can. So I learned that, and that was a much, much different experience than the math teacher who taught me statistics in college. (laughs) Couldn't even tell you what his name is. Don't even care because he wasn't good. But when there was a personal connection and a touch and a walk you through these things, Then you really start to say, I'm interested in learning this. This is how the Holy Spirit teaches us. Because he's in it with us. He walks in it with us. There's no better teacher than one who says, let's go to the problem this way. Let's do this together right now. Let's walk through this. And shows you how to do it and gets it so you know how to do it. Now, when they start teaching you, they have all the knowledge you have not. right? That's how it works, right? And then slowly, they transfer the knowledge to you, and then the skill of doing it. Because the point is not just to give you knowledge, but to give you experience and to help you think through the problem. So when, when the Holy Spirit begins to teach you in your life, what do you think he's teaching you? Ooh, this is a good question, isn't it? What do you think the Holy Spirit is going to teach you? Well, let's step back a few verses and we'll find out. Okay. (laughs) All right. Um, Verse number 16, 17, and 18. We're going to read those three verses in the same chapter. John 14, verse 16, 17, and 18. I will pray to the Father, we shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you, even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you and shall be in. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Okay. So a couple, we, we, that's packed. I mean, we, we could talk about that for a long time. But I'm going to pick a couple of highlights. First of all, he says, I need to leave, but I will come to you. All right. Saying, God in his spirit is coming to you. That's me, he says. I'm God. I will be connected with you personally through the Holy Spirit. All right. Now, when he comes, what is the Holy Spirit going to teach us? And it doesn't say it exactly in those words, but you read that second verse and you tell me what he's going to teach us, if we're willing, if we're able, truth, truth. okay? He is a teacher of truth. Is truth a good thing? Sure it is, right? It's the very best thing. In a world where everything is topsy-turvy and you're not really sure which side is up and which side is down and who's telling the truth, you want to know the truth. Now, there was a long time ago, and you guys probably don't remember this, but there's a famous line in a movie, I think it was A Few Good Men, right? And they're standing, they put this... This guy in the military who was like a leader over a bunch of guys, um, they put him on trial. And the lawyer's pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. And the guy on trial says, what do you want from me? And the lawyer yells out, I want the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the guy looks right back at him and says, you can't handle the truth. Because... In that movie, not that I'm advocating for that movie, but it is one of those things that sticks in your mind forever. Because the Holy Spirit comes and teaches truth to who? In the same verse. Who gets the truth? The Holy disciple. The disciples, okay, who doesn't get the truth? Okay, I'm really asking you in an opposite way. Pretty much everyone who, else. Who, th- th- so it says specifically, who can't receive it? Everyone else, really, apart from the disciples, those are those people who don't see him or know him. Okay, so people that don't know him, and, and that's labeled as the world, right? World okay the world who doesn't know him. in other words, we've been talking all about this relationship he, and this the world doesn't know him and so because they don't know him they can't see the truth. They can't handle the truth. They have no idea how to get the truth because he comes as a teacher and does not spread it necessarily in sprinkling all over everybody he comes in and he goes and works personally in your heart to change you and to say i want you to see the truth so what truth what truth does he teach us well, there's a whole lot of obvious truth. Here it is in the, in the Bible. And we talk about the Bible being a, such an important book. But the Bible in and of itself is not effective without the Holy Spirit. Have you ever gotten up, sat down, said, I'm going to read the Bible. And you get about three, four verses in, and you can't even tell what you read. You might have even read pages. And you're like, I don't even know what any of it said. You could have read the entire chapter of Job and not really... Right. Could have read an entire chapter. And then here's the real question. Have you ever sat down and read a verse that stuck in your head so much? Each word was like That's me. That's what the Holy Spirit does. When you really seek to know Him, the Holy Spirit makes it come alive to you. That's what you want. That's how he teaches. So how do you do this? Well, when you read the Bible, and that's why we say, read your Bible. Keep reading your Bible. Keep putting it in. Because I don't know when he's going to speak to you. I don't know when he's going to speak to me. The idea is to create some discipline in your life to say, I will do this. I will put scripture in my head. I will do these things. And at some opportune moment that he thinks is opportune, not me. He will bring something to mind and it will be, oh, I never thought of it that way. And that's what the spirit does. He teaches truth. Now, that can be about how you treat your friends. That can be about how you work, what you do at school. That can be about what your family is like. There's all sorts of things in the Bible in here. It addresses everything from family to work to relationships with people. But one other thing, and and God shows truth to us that way, we should be kind, right? He could take this and say, be kind and tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. And he could pierce your soul with those words and say, how well do you do forgiving others? How much have I forgiven you? And those words sink into your heart through the Spirit, not through us. But the Spirit does it and shows truth to us. And that's the truth that is the very hardest to see. People in the world, or the people that won't know God, says, I I don't know anything about God. I don't know anything about him. I don't have time for him. I don't really care. Uh, He doesn't care about me. Why should I care about him? All the things. And I've heard a thousand excuses why you shouldn't follow God. But the people that won't follow him, won't have him, one way or another, those people will not see it. They will not see their own faults. My friend Heather thinks God hates her because every time she touches the cross, it breaks and falls apart. Even if she just pokes it lightly. So, and and there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people that believe that God just doesn't like them. But that's not really true at all. God died for them, for them. And He will forgive them if they will just ask. But there are often things that hold us back, push us back there are many of the things are just inside of us our own stubborn will that's oftentimes what it is so the hardest things as a christian to see and as anybody to see are our own faults our own things we do wrong because we give ourselves lots of license to do things and everybody else we hold to a high standard and that's our nature that's our very nature we say, did you see what they did? Can't believe what they said. I'd never do anything like that. But that's not true. And it's not true. You're right, it's not true. It is dangerous to think that way. But the Holy Spirit comes in and he shows us truth. He teaches us truth. And how does he do it? Does he come in like a bulldozer smashing you down? Nope. Little bits. In a kind way. Nobody wants a teacher to come in and whack him upside the baseball bat and say, There, you learned about physics today. I hope you remember it, because it hurt, right? That's physics. Force equals mass times acceleration. Mr. Did Prez. you get it, Mr. Phaze? More likely really to body slam you're okay. not listening. So, would you remember it if your if your teacher hit you upside the head with a baseball no, bat? No, I'm probably getting concussion! <laughs> I bet you'd remember, but would you want to learn that lesson from him? No. No way, right? right. God. And yet, no. and yet, it's true, right? Force equals mass times acceleration, and there you go, right in the head. Yeah, and if you have your face too high, acceleration slows the force down. Right? And not the hard way. So, no one wants to learn from a teacher like that. And that's not how God approaches us. He is kind, in quiet ways, personal. He knows your experiences, your thoughts, your fears, all the things, and he slowly comes in One step at a time. And he works inside of you. Because that's the love that he has for us. Personal. Patient. Years he spends on us. Our whole rest of our lives. And that's why he seals us at the beginning. Because he's got a lot of work to do. And it's not that he couldn't smash us into place. But that's not God's approach. God's approach is kind and loving. God's not going to smite us. Now, there can be a time where we say, I'm not going to learn from you, God, even after we said we believe, but there's stubborn parts in us. And there gets to be times where he says, okay, so I know this isn't popular anymore, but the truth about the matter is, if a child doesn't listen, a young child doesn't listen, there has to be punishment. They don't, eventually don't get it. And I'm gonna tell you about horses. Oh god, no. So when I was horseshoeing, we we learned how to move horses. You can go up and talk to them. Please move horse. I love you. You're the greatest horse ever. That's not going to work. It does not work. You're right. Not even a little. In fact, they might lean harder on you or they could kick you. They have no care about doing that. So, what do they respond to? Some horses respond to, like, some people will poke them with a prod iron to get them to move. Okay, so here's the thing. Understand this. The point of a tool, we'll call it, like a whip like a prodding iron even like a twitch okay which you probably don't know what a twitch is but either way any of those things are not to just give them pain they are to get them to say maybe i should move so the idea is not to jab it in them stick it to them the idea is to give gentle pressure until they say oh maybe i should move does anybody else just hear that like, baby mouse going ball? No, I didn't see it. So. I said here, listen. Could be something. So, anyways, what we have uh, is a prodding until you learn, when you won't learn. That would be a nightmare. If that had happened to me in my childhood, i probably would have been a <laughs> But listen, priming doesn't always mean that you're taking a physical thing to you. God doesn't necessarily take a whip to you, but God puts pressure on you in your life until you say, Alright, I give up. I'm gonna go. So what we would do is we would take something, whether it be the handle of our rasp or something like that, where we're working on a horse, and we just push. And we push. And we push, and we push, and the stubborn ones stand and wait. I'm just give them a little whoop by right now. The stubborn ones wait and wait and wait until it hurts. Some of wait, them, you, you literally go and just press, and they move because they've learned. Huh. If Because what are they going to do? If they move, the pressure goes away. It's very easy, right? It's a simple concept. And it's taught to an animal without any other communication. You literally just put pressure in a spot until they move. Now, sometimes it takes a lot of pressure because sometimes they're very stubborn. What if they've already learned but just don't, what, what if they're very tired? If they've already learned, they will do it. And if they're very tired and can't move? They're, they will move. They will. What if their legs are about to break? They, then you won't be working on them at the time that their legs are about to break. So, all right, <laughs> all right? So the idea is this, that they learn it, right? They learn how to do it. So here he is. God comes in and puts pressure because you're not willing to learn the truth about yourself. So what does that pressure look like? Sometimes it's your conscience constantly giving you struggles. Sometimes it's something external in your life that God can use. I couldn't tell you how many times my dog, my dog, yes, taught me something through God. And here's what happened. So often, I would be so frustrated because my dog would random times run away about three-quarters of a mile to another person's house on another road and go and lay down in their yard. Like, you're outside laying down in my yard, and all of a sudden you just get up and be gone. And I would not find him, and I would get so frustrated and so angry because he wouldn't listen. And as I'm thinking about this and getting angry about him, it would inevitably be two days or three weeks after I had just done something that I was being super just stupid about I didn't do the right thing and I didn't listen and here I'm running away doing what I feel like when I feel like it and I'm like you're so I'm so mad at you and you don't realize that you've done the same thing and here I am and then I look at that dog and I'm like what a dummy I am (laughs) <laughs> and that's what God would even use in my life. He can use anything to teach you. It kind of sounds like cat voice. He can use any little thing—a dog, a cat, another person, words that people say. He uses people around us through circumstance. Except for the sad fact someone shot my cat in the back of no. neck. That well, that's. Well, I guess it's not that sad that if it survives. So the idea is this. You can learn a thousand different ways, and God is teaching you, teaching you, teaching you, teaching you. How do you do it? How do you do it? How do you do it? Well, what else is truth? I'll tell you what thing that the Holy Spirit has come to earth to do. He has come to earth to teach us about ourselves, but he has also come to earth to bear witness of Christ. And that is his main goal, is to spread the story of Christ to the earth. And how does he do it? How does he choose to do it? Through us. And why does it grieve the Holy Spirit when we are bitter, angry, clamoring, evil, malicious, full of wrath, because we are not doing what he has asked us to do. We're not, we're not agreeing with him moving forwards, even though we have, we have been forgiven. Okay, We've been given the opportunity. We say, well, I'm not going to give this to anybody else. And that's not the way that the Holy Spirit wants to be because his goal is to take it and spread it to the hearts of humankind. Okay, Through us. That's part of God's plan. Spread it through us. All right? So, he is here. And if you're to turn a couple more pages to John 16, chapter 16, uh, verse number 7 and 8. Let's read those two, please. for you that I go away for if I go not away the comforter will not come unto you but I but if I depart I will send him to you and when he has come he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment alright so this is what He is here to do. He is reproving the world of sin. Convicting, that means. That means letting you know that you didn't do something right. That's his job. Of sin, verse 9, because they believe not on me. And that is what his main goal is to get others to believe, to work in the hearts of mankind to get people to believe. So he comes to bear the truth. He comes to tell the world about sin and to show them that they are sinful. And then when he shows them that they are sinful, he says, and I will walk with you through this process. Just believe. I will help you. I will seal you to the end of time. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He does all of these things. So we begin to learn about God's forgiveness. And then the most amazing thing begins to work. And sometimes it takes a long time for us to realize these things. When we start to see that God is not standing over us with a big club waiting. All right, next time you do it, there you go. I'll teach you to stop sinning. Right, that I is. A bruise on your arm. Right. That is not. That is not the way that god treats us even if we have human beings around us that treat us that way that it takes us a long time to begin to realize god is much more kind god is much more tender hearted god is much better at forgiving than we are and we begin to see step by step a little bit more a little bit more who god really is that's the truth that the Spirit teaches us. When I sin, I confess. First John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And people have talked all about that, and they're like, it's the magic formula, or it's the right. And it is truth that God will forgive us. But God wants us to begin to understand what love is, what his love towards us is, so that we change. And he works through us to change us. Sometimes so slowly we don't even hardly recognize it ourselves. Sometimes he switches something overnight for us. Changes things. But oftentimes it's the process, it's the process, it's the process. Then we go through this process. We're stubborn. We grieve the Holy Spirit. We get the wrong thing. And yep, we got to go back to our knees and say, God, please forgive me. I was bitter about this, and I didn't let it go. And it's been months, or it's been years, and I didn't let it go. I didn't like the way my mom treated me. I didn't like the way that this happened to me in school. I hated the thing that this person said to me. I can't believe I was born where I was. We can be better at God, we can be better at our families, we can be better at school, at our teachers, we can be angry, all those things, but the Holy Spirit teaches us little by little by little, here's where we need to change. And so, we struggle. Now one more story, Wally and the horse. Because this is probably one of the most amazing things I ever saw in my life, when I was in Montana, Learning how to shoe horses, we went to Yellowstone National Park, and there's people called the Backcountry Rangers that stay out there, and they live out in the wilderness of Montana. They have a kind of a central camp, and from there, they take horse strings of horses and pack mules out into the wilderness of uh, Yellowstone Park. I think it's over two million acres. It's miles and miles and miles and miles of square square property. People get lost out there all the time, travelers and things. And so they take these horses and mules, and they I think they had, I don't know, 50, 75 horses and mules. Okay? And they'd take a big pack string, and they go out for 30, 40 days, and just live out in the wilderness, looking for people, helping people, reporting on wildlife and different things, and then coming back base camp for a while so we went and went to shoe their horses and I was given with a partner a horse uh, that we were able to trim their front he- feet and put horseshoes on their front feet we put their, we went to their back feet and we trimmed their feet this this particular horse and the horse kept yanking its leg out and yanking its leg out and yanking its leg and it got more and more nervous and more and more worked up We got shoes nailed, and there's about, you nail the shoe into their hoof, okay, and you bend them back over, and they're real sharp, long nails. We had two nails put in each shoe, and we needed to put in six more in each shoe. Finally, this horse, and I was trying to work on one leg, and the horse just ripped its its foot right out and it took that long nail and just ripped right across my hand and I laid it wide open and I said, I'm not, I'm doing this for free. I don't need to do this horse anymore. <laughs> so we went up and said, here's how far we got with this horse. We're having major trouble with its hind feet. Wally was a real cowboy. Big, I mean, 10 gallon hat, mustache like great big, I still remember he wore like a duster coat. I mean, truthfully, he was, he was a cowboy. He got on his horse. All the way down to the Spurs on the. Oh yes, yes. He got on his horse, and they went inside of a big round pen. Great big pen. Posts probably that big around, all the way around, and it was, I'll say, 40 feet in diameter. This great big pen. 10 foot high sides all around it. All boards, all the way up. So I'm like, I'm going in to see what they do because I want to see this. So I walk inside and they shut the big round pen. And here's me and three or four other cowboys and Wally up on his horse. Wally's got a horse and they've got the other horse tied with his front to the front post. And they've got him tied there. So he's just tied up. His front nose is tied right to a great big post. And his back, he's free to move wherever. Wally goes through, takes his lasso out. I'm telling you, real cowboys, right? Takes his lasso out. I think it took him two tries, and he hooked one of the here, one of the hind feet of that horse, the ones that he's been ripping away from us. And he put the rope around the horn on his saddle, and he just squeezed his legs for the horse, and the horse just backed up, backed up, backed up. And that horse that was tied with his nose to the pen. All of a sudden, his back leg started to get stretched out because Wally was pulling his leg. And he got it literally almost straight out. And then I thought that whole world was going to come apart because that horse started jumping and shaking and kicking. The pen was rattling. I'm like, this thing's going to kill me. (laughs) The pen was rattling. I remember the sounds of it just banging all around me, all around me, all around me. And it went crazy and I thought, this is never gonna end. I told you this thing's crazy. This horse kept going, going, and Wally's just standing there on his horse and the horse just leans, stretch, stretch, and it kicks and kicks and kicks and kicks and kicks for probably, seemed like a long time, it's probably about a minute. And he just stopped. And you could tell he was shaking and shivering all over. And Wally just stepped up with his horse and his foot went to the ground. And then he stepped back with his horse and stretched the horse's leg back out. And it kicked for probably about 10 seconds and calmed down. And then he went back again. Because it's starting to know it's not going to And it stretched back out. And he did it three or four times. And that was it. Other guy walked right up picked his hoof up, nailed on the rest of those nails, trimmed them off, and was done in three minutes. Oftentimes, it takes us learning to stop the struggle. Was it sound really loud like Oh, it was way louder than that. It was way louder. I was a little scared, and I wasn't scared of a lot at that point. So, it was it was an amazing lesson to learn when you watched and saw you know what as soon as he gave control up he got back his foot and that's what he wanted he didn't want to give his foot up but as soon as he gave up the battle and the struggle he got his foot back because he was trying to teach him if I don't shoe you you're going to have more problems with your hooves than if I then if I figure out how to get this shoe on you so you're going to have to cooperate one way or another do you think it's possible we could take a church trip trip and see how it is oh it would it be quite a trip it so would be fun. so The same thing goes with the Holy Spirit. If we're going to learn, if we're going to do things, if God's going to work in our life, we often struggle and battle, and sometimes it's for a long time before we finally say, okay, you can do it. I'll agree. I want to see this. I'll let you do it, God. And that's what God wants is obedience for our good. It's for our good that He's doing it. But He's patiently teaching us, patiently teaching us one thing after another thing after another thing. And we do. We do the same struggle. We have the same exact thing in our life. So God taught me through that. Wow, maybe I should stop struggling so hard against what He has for me. Maybe I should just be willing to see God knows better. So God is the teacher. He brings us truth about ourselves, about the world, about all the people around us. Ourselves are oftentimes the biggest struggle. We cannot see our own faults. But we want to be careful not to spend our lives in things, bitterness and anger and wrath and evil speaking and malice, that will grieve the Holy Spirit. We want to go and be obedient and start to learn from Him because we'll be in much better off shape. Next week, we'll continue on with the Holy Spirit. Thank you.